Retro Rebel Gamecast episode 52 is brought to you by TempleofGeek.com, your one-stop shop for all things geek. You can find all of our episodes and fulfill your sci-fi, fantasy, and geek culture-related needs at TempleofGeek.com. Welcome to the Retro Rebel Gamecast, where we discuss gaming and related topics for you, the listeners. Retro Rebel is released every Thursday, and you can find this episode and much, much more by heading to templeofgeek.com or wherever you download your favorite podcast. You can even find us on Facebook at Temple of Geek for exclusive content and to see what else we're up to. My name is Stacy, and with me is my fellow Rebel co-host, Amanda. What's up? Hello. Welcome back. Not much, man. Not much. Yeah. What have yeah. you been playing? What's up? Let's, let's just get started. Um, well, I, I I played a good game and I played a bad game, so I've got a little bit of both. Uh, so we'll we'll start with the bad first, so we can end on a good note. So the bad game that I played, <laughs> well, I, I suppose bad is a relative term, but the bad game that I played was uh, Beast Quest. Apparently it's based on a series of books. It apparently has loads of source material to work with, um, but I played probably about an hour and a half of this game. And then just decided I couldn't deal with it anymore. It seemed very promising at first. It was like a slightly comical, uh, animated looking, um, RPG. And, uh, the whole goal is that you are the chosen one. You're just a little kid. Um, and you're following in your father's footsteps, who is a great knight and a, a so wizard. Basically, this is you. like a new premise that has never been written of before. Uh, Yes, never before. Um, and, and a wise wizard comes down and tells you that in order to free the kingdom, you uh, need to release these dragons from their chains or whatever. Twist. Um, yeah. So you get your overarching quest, which is to find this dragon. Um, and through the course of it, it takes you through a town where you can pick up side quests and things like that. There are chests and keys to find. Now, the struggle that... I found after, you know, just getting into the game was that it, every single extra quest that I was picking up was a fetch quest. Everything. Okay. Yeah. And I thought, oh, well, maybe, you know, that's just the first town. Maybe something else will be different. But as I played the game, um, I, inter- I went through two different boss battles with the dragon. It didn't complete that quest. Um, and it went to the, the, the next stage of it. And, um, and the, those fest quests were, those fetch quests were still just like lingering. Um, and then I realized that in order to actually complete them, I was going to have to fast travel back to the beginning location and talk to the person and then like resume what I was doing. Right. There didn't seem to be a, like a natural point where you would interact with the person to turn the quest back in. Yeah. Um, and I just decided I didn't want to try to do that much backtracking to remember where I got the quest from right. because the map was a bit like limited. So the graphics look like PS3 and it's on Xbox One. And I think at that point, so I POS. Just, yeah, it really it it had so much promise. Like the books are supposed to be quite good, even though they're children's books like they, it, it initially felt good. Um, and the controls weren't too bad, but for a turn-based, uh, like situational combat, you know, just like Final Fantasy, 
it was a lot of pause, 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 pause. Combine that with the backtracking. It just wasn't fast enough to keep me engaged on what is a children's level narrative. So that's going to be a no. So I, I, mean, I can't even imagine that being interesting to children. So Yeah, it, you know, maybe if you're like 10 to 13, you know, but it was it was a bit slow. So I'm going to have to say no. Um, and then no, the one that pass. I played that was, yeah, hard pass. The one that I played that was quite good was actually a fairly mature narrative. Now, it's weird because usually games that control awkwardly, uh, I usually just give up on. But this story was so interesting that I played the entire game through and beat it. And I all, I think I almost full completion this as well. Um, just because it, it's, it seemed quite clear uh how to follow the different elements and, and the side quests weren't really out of the way and stuff. Yeah. So this game is called Black Mirror. Um there's a TV show of the same game, not related. Um and it's based in a uh Scottish setting in an old uh cl- kind of like clan family home. And the premise of the game is that um you are going back to your like heritage family manor. Um, it's set in probably the Edwardian, maybe Georgian era. It's hard to remember. Um, but it's old, ye olde timey. Um, and you are, uh, you were raised probably in England from the accent, but you're going to Scotland and lots of the people there have really heavy Scottish brogues. And it was quite interesting because the subtitles are in full, like um, traditional English. But yeah. if you listen to the voice acting, they've actually gotten some pretty strong Scottish voice acting. It was really good. Um, and the premise is that your father was um, was killed and you're trying to unravel. People say that he went mad. He was committed for a while and you're trying to unravel what happened. And you experience a series of visions and you find out about the history of your family, which links to the Druids. It's all very, it builds. Um, and even though the game doesn't look amazing, it looks decent. And the, the, um, animations of the voice mapping is not good. The voice acting and the narrative are strong enough to carry it. I'd have to say solid seven game. And it's a fairly quick game to play through as well. Four to six hours maximum. Um, so if you can get it used for a couple bucks, um, or, or rent it or something, it, it was a really good story. I don't want to ruin it in case you're going to play it because it's the kind of story you would like. Yeah. And that sounds like something I'd like to actually play. I may check that one out. Um, it, so it's a it's a uh, it's a it's a puzzler like a gentle puzzler detectivey sort of thing and there's no real combat so it's definitely like just a yeah. story. I dig it, um, which kind of builds into or you know segues nicely into the games I've been playing and realizing officially that I cannot. I think I may have said this in the last episode. I cannot play. I've come to terms with the idea that I cannot play Far Cry or games like Far Cry most likely ever again until I mm-hmm. don't have kids uh, because they, first of all, I'm terrible at first person shooters. And so, uh, and, and the, the aiming is so realistic and I don't mean this in like the truest, most literal sense, but it's, it's like if you, there's recoil uh, on, on a, on when you fire a weapon that happens in real life. 
Well, in the game, it happens. And it happens to the point where I can't hit shit. You know, I can't <laughs> hit anything. And so when I'm aiming... Even on easy. Well, I don't know that I... I didn't lower the difficulty. I just kept it at whatever it starts at. And so the very one of the very first outposts that I'm trying to take, I end up uh, trying to sneak up on them. I've tried to flank them. I try to do everything. But And there's also, which I think is what you're supposed to do, there's there's this one thing, there's this one little, like a propane tank that I could shoot that would kill all of them at once. Well, I can't hit it. I can't hit it. Every, by the time I shoot it and I miss it the first two or three shots, then everybody knows I'm there. And so they're all alerted. And so they start coming and running towards me. And I'm still trying to shoot this thing. And I've never been able to shoot it and blow it up because like the three or four times that I tried to do it, I just got killed. So um, I did not have time to sneak up on them again and try it again. I may go back and and uh, and play it, you know, later when I have a little bit more time. But I'm just not a good enough shot. And even when I did try to just target the the, the guys that were coming at me, I couldn't kill them fast enough to not get killed. So and there's four of them, I think. So uh, I tried flanking them. I tried sneaking up on them and killing them one at a time. They're too close together. They got a patrol. It just um, and, and, you know, the story's really good, but I think because it's so big and spread out that unless you are actively, like, in the world for extended periods of time, you lose the narrative. And that's the thing that drives me in most games. And so it's it's a great game. It's beautiful. It's It, it has a very interesting premise and something that I'd love to get back to, but I don't have the time. And so I'll have to wait and come back to it at some point. Um so I, I kind of I just I kind of gave up uh, on it currently, and I did so because I made a choice to go in a different direction. The game I have been spending the most time playing is God of War. God of War. Boom! You got the new one. I did, and it is badass. It is so much fun. Um, it's it's challenging, and I'm playing it on normal difficulty again. Um, there, and again, it's challenging for me i don't think it's i'm not bad at games i just uh it's got different mechanics than the other god of wars so uh it's over the shoulder like third person and everything all cinematics everything is in game so you are immersed 100 percent of the time all the time there isn't they never takes you out to do a cinematic it will let you, like, you know when it's time to play again because it, it makes it obvious or somewhat obvious, but it's seamless. It's seamless where it goes from cinematic to to back to gameplay. There, there is no difference. It doesn't change camera angles. It's always over the shoulder. And so you see what's happening, and, and, uh, and it just helps kind of keep you immersed in the world. It's for those right. that, yeah, and if you've played the other previous God of Wars, I mean, the, the whole premise is, that you are kind of working your way through the Greek gods, you know, uh, to you know all the way up to the Titans. You know, you're you're taking everybody out, and you know Kratos is mad, and you know some of it's justified, some of it he was kind of just an asshole. Um, but when you when you're playing this game, Kratos, uh, you I mean, it, it, I don't think this is spoilery either. If you've seen literally anything about the game you've seen him and a little boy in the in the production material so even if you have not his son that's his son yeah so his son is yeah. in the game and you play his son is a whole different mechanic 
that really adds to the to the gameplay. Every word that's spoken seems to be adding to the lore. It's adding to the the uh, uh, it adds to the just the overall experience. Um, you are in, I guess, Scandinavia. I'm assuming that's where you are. I haven't read a whole lot about it, uh, but you know, very early on, like right at the beginning of the game, um, there's mention. There's even music that you might associate with Scandinavia. And everything, so. Okay. So, you're, you control both characters, then, is, is do, that what you're kind saying? Kind of. Kind of. Um, there is a, the, the, your son is, is a, is kind of mapped to a button on the, on your controller. So you don't have to switch to him to play with him. You just press the button. And that gets him to help aid you. So it's not a uh, an escort quest. It's not a you don't. It's not a resource management. You don't have to watch out for him per se. At least I haven't had to so far. And again, this is my impression because right. uh, I haven't finished. So it can yet. you can you split screen or or one screen co op then? I don't think so. I don't think it works that way. Yeah. And I don't know that you'd want to because the sun is definitely not Kratos, at least not to my knowledge. This is, you're not, you're not getting any of the same powers. Um, right. You, you, uh, you are as the sun are more of, uh, you, you kind of kite enemies and, right. and distract. So that's, that's more or less your role, but, uh, you're in, you're in Viking country. I think you're dealing with Viking lore. And so I think in the end, in this game, you'll be ending, you'll end up messing and uh, having to fight Viking gods, which could be Hello. cool. Yeah, so that that'll be cool. Um, I'm looking forward to it. But anyway, it's been a lot of fun. The it's probably been the most fun I've had playing a game in a while. Actually, um, I really enjoyed Final Fantasy 15. Uh, that's probably the last time I've really played a game that I thoroughly enjoyed and played all the way through. Um, right. And this this one I enjoy every bit as much, maybe more so far. Um, and a lot of people are already calling it their game of the year. Um, right. For whatever that's worth. It's on the list. It is. And for me, definitely on the list. So. Uh, but that's it. I meant so, on my original list, you know. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'm going to rip it. Well, you should. It, it is, it is going to be worth it. And I'm looking forward to seeing kind of what you think of it as well. But that's uh, that's what I've been playing. So in gaming news, uh, before I get started on, as I usually do, um, have a few little tidbits I wanted to add. Was there anything I only you've have heard? one tidbit? Yeah, I figured I'd give you <laughs> give you the floor to go ahead and add yours. Well, I remember how much we've been talking about the algorithms that these yeah. large publishers use, and I'm sure it didn't escape your notice that I believe it was the Dutch. Um, ruled that, or findings were that, uh, a large proportion of modern game with loot box elements is actually classed as gambling. And remember how I told you, because I have a gambling background, right. that I was like, this is the same mechanics that you would use right. in a casino. It's literally how the games work. So, you know, I, I thought it was absolutely stunning that, you know, a, a very obscure field like casino gaming actually 
um, actually came in in some value in predicting what they would find. And I think even though they're going to struggle to prove that people who have like a gambling addiction play a lot of games, that's not the point. Right. It the, shouldn't be. The point, yeah. The, the point is, is that um, the same psychological effects that would cause you to become an addictive gambler would cause you to become interested or perhaps overindulgent in loot boxes. And I think my next prediction based on that train of thought is, is that they're actually going to find um, when they do more studies and research is that, you know, it creates a different kind of addiction. Not, not everybody who is addicted to smoking cigarettes or drinking or playing casino games not you know you don't have every addiction on the planet i think that people find a an addiction that works for them and i think most people are addicted to something even if it's just coffee um because that's sort of human nature and that's how your mind works yeah so basically you may find out that there are people who maybe don't have an inclination to gamble or a predisposition to gamble because of just framing it, you know, they don't play cards. However, someone who has that same issue that plays games, you know, might be susceptible to it. Is that more or less yeah. kind of what you're saying? Yeah. So they yeah. may find Essentially, out a whole other population of people that will become addicted because they have the same mechanism that gets them addicted, but just from a different mode or medium. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what's more well, just as dangerous as, um, you know, people who get addicted to MMORPGs and stuff like that. It's the same psychological tendencies, like, um, uh, never ending MMORPGs play on the same psychological, uh, triggers that a loot box would, which is, you know, the anticipation of reward and the dopamine release when you get that reward right, and stuff. Right. So, you know, every time you get a loot drop in a boss battle in an MMORPG, you get that dopamine release that keeps you playing for longer, that keeps you coming back. It's, a, it's all psychological uh, manipulation to one extent or another. But I think with loot boxes have become a symbol of uh, a very dangerous financial impact as well. Whereas when you play a boss battle, like... Aside from the people who use uh, extreme currencies or like do gold farming and things to an extreme level, generally speaking, you get you can get that dopamine release for free as long as you maintain your subscription. So arguably that is controlled to an extent that loot boxes are not. So my gut would say is that the next phase of this legislation is that they'll allow loot boxes, but they'll require them to have the same daily caps and stuff that you've seen MMOs put on playtime. So, you know, after you play for a certain amount or you do all the daily quests or whatever, that's it. So then feeding the addiction provides diminishing returns. That's the same sort of controls that casinos have to put in place is that, you know, many casinos, you have to take a break after a certain amount of time or, you know, all all sorts of things like that um, in order to control people's lack of impulse control. Um, So that's my prediction. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes people need help. We just passed a sugar tax here. Can you believe it? So now uh, uh, socialist 
<laughs> I know. It's crazy. Well, um, a, a sugar-free uh, can of Coca-Cola is now significantly cheaper than a full-fat can of Coca-Cola. So, um, Hello, cat. you know, that, <laughs> yes, when the cats come to visit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that's, that's my news. That's all I yeah. had. No, but it's I think that's big... good. That's better than and you know whatever I had. Um, uh, because I think that that you are correct. I think we're going to see this continue to evolve. They may even these big companies may even try to kind of shush it as much as possible or make it like a non-issue in the United States. Uh, but I think it's really interesting that you said that um, just about how loot boxes work in general. And the idea, you know, I mean, you can go all the way back to the sound it makes when you get an achievement in Xbox. I mean, they oh, yeah. fretted over that for months trying to find just the right sound because that sound alone releases dopamine. So, you know, just achieving, no pun intended, something in Xbox that releases that, that, uh, that or that triggers that sound gets an emotional response or a, a, a you know, a, a hormonal response in humans. I mean, that's and that's what they're going for because they want you to seek that out. And so the same thing happens in loot boxes. Um, and 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 I think it's it's a good thing that they've regulated it. I mean, in MMOs, I I get now why they have the caps on the the daily quests. There's that's a twofold thing. It works for them in both in two ways though. For one, it means that you can't get all of your rewards in one day and you can't play. For very, you know, for too long. But two, it makes you come back the next day. You got to come back, otherwise you can't do your dailies. And you got to do your dailies, otherwise you can't get the extra epic loots that you would get otherwise. You know, which I've broken myself of that. I've, I just don't have time to do dailies, and so that's never been. In fact, dailies always frustrated me. I was like, well, I guess that's something that's walled off to me. I'll never get it, because um, I just don't. I don't have the time usually to do stuff like that. Anyway, well, yeah. for me, I've got some, uh, I had some news that I thought was interesting that we could elaborate a little bit on with uh, the mention that Call of Duty is coming out and they are removing the campaign from the game. So it's basically going to be like a Battle Royale type system. So they're getting on the Battle Royale hype train. I mean, me too and the gimme gimmies. Right. How right. are they going to make it any better? It's going to be worse. It can't it's going to be worse. Basically, what you've got is you may have a first-person, more polished version of PUBG. Is I mean, that's what I see. I mean, I don't know where you're going to set it. You know, what is the setting going to be for this particular, uh, you know, iteration? But, you know, Fortnite's kind of cornered the market right now, and they are doing it better than anybody else. And they're doing it in a way that... that continues to stay fun and fresh where PUBG's just been worried about suing Fortnite for, you know, stealing instead of iterating and continuing to approve. They're worried about someone stealing their formula, which right now, while they're worried about that, Call of Duty's about to steal their formula too and then make PUBG irrelevant. Yeah, but I honestly, I wonder how Call of Duty is actually going to compete on the level of fun. Like, sure, Hardcore Call of Duty people are going to be attracted to that 100%. Yeah, they're going to play it. But you, I doubt that you're actually going to get Fortnite players to go and play it because half of the fun of Fortnite is building stuff. So I just don't see 
You know what I mean? Like, I just right. don't see that same exact audience going over. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I doubt you're going to see Call of Duty including building stuff. And if they right. do, if I was Fortnite, I'd go after them because right. that's literally the point of Fort, you know, like yeah. in Fortnite. <laughs> right. Although I don't think I ever put and, it together until you said that. Well, it's so, it's so important to the end game of like, look, I will regularly make it to the top 10. Yeah. But I do that by hiding. Yeah. And right. I have never won a single game because in order to make it to the top 10, my strategy is to avoid combat at all costs, which means also avoiding drawing attention to yourselves, which means I'm not collecting resources and nor am I building. Because right. building draws attention to where you are. So generally, I find what happens in these matches is that you're left with a handful of people, probably 50% of which have built a heavy fortification and are maximizing that to their advantage. The other half are just hiding. So when it gets to a certain point, the person just hiding is almost guaranteed to lose. Right. Because the person who's built a fortification has that natural advantage of cover. Right. Um, and better cover than what and you could get just being in the native <laughs> building. Yeah, and the high ground as well, so they can come down and like shoot down on you. They've probably also got rockets as well. So those t seem to be the two most successful strategies for getting to the top. But the only successful strategy I've ever seen for winning the match is to build something and have rockets. Like by by the end, I I haven't seen anybody so far, and and I've played you know probably thirty or so matches. Yeah. Um, in the, in the, near the top, um, I, I haven't gotten that far and seen somebody win without doing that. So right. I would be interested. I feel like Call of Duty, if there's no building, then it will not be as easy for people who do the other strategy, uh, of hiding to be as successful. Because if there's nobody distracted in their own tower, then they're just going to be like, I don't know. I just feel like it's not the same quality of game. It, then it's just literally a PUBG with better graphics. But we'll see what they come up with. Maybe they're building some other interesting mechanic. Like, I feel like they shouldn't have had to sacrifice the campaign to do it. Like, why is nobody yeah, talking about yeah, that? But I, uh, but I don't. Yeah. And that's what I wonder. I wonder if they're just trying to capitalize on this, if they've run out of ideas or what? I mean, I don't think this is necessarily a bad idea for Call of Duty. I think Call of Duty fans are going to buy the game, as they always do. Most Call of Duty fans, I would say, play for the online component. Um, I'd say that's probably the majority of fans. I'd say I'm in the minority that I have only played the game for <laughs> campaign. Um, but I but I do, and that's, I play all games. I mean, I know that about myself. I only play games, really, for the story. And so for them to take it out, I, I, I assume that they've done some of the research. They kind of have an idea what they think would be best. But I don't, it still doesn't necessarily make sense to me. I don't, I don't get it uh, for, for reasons like that we've already mentioned. You know, how are they going to change uh, you know, the formula to be different? And, and maybe they're just playing on name recognition. I don't know. Something else that I had was uh, for PlayStation, uh, the May games coming up. So next week, uh, Rayman Legends is one of the PlayStation Plus games, which I already have on Xbox. But it is a good game. If you haven't gotten it yet, it'd be one to pick up. Great platformer. It's a lot of fun. Um, 
and it's just it's just a fun game, generally just a fun game. But a game that I've actually really been interested in wanting to play, uh, always heard things about it, whether I heard good things or things. otherwise, I've heard things about it, uh, was Beyond, colon, Two Souls. Um, that's the game with... Oh, uh, I think I've played that. Yeah, I think you have what as well. What is it about? Well, I don't know. I, I Honestly, I haven't. It's basically you, you I, I think, I don't know if you jump around along a timeline in a, in the girl's life and it's uh oh what's her name uh she was in she was Shadowcat uh or um Kitty Pride in X-Men Oh, I don't know. Well, let's do some research real quick. Um anyways, she's It sounds familiar. Well, you also played the one that had Iceman in it. Um and it was uh, oh man, it's the one where I think you can stop time or freeze time or whatever. Oh um, yeah. What was that one called? Um, uh, it's the one with the TV show in it. No, that one, the TV one. Yeah, I don't know. That has it? the mini series as part of it. Is that what you're talking about? Maybe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was that it? I don't know. I'll, I'll remember. Uh, I'll think of it maybe in a second. Um. <laughs> Ellen Page is her name. So Ellen Page okay. is in Beyond Two Souls. And uh, anyway, so it's going to be one of the uh, free games for uh, your membership for PS Plus. And basically, uh, just looking it up a little bit, it's an interactive drama game um, by Quantic Dream. And if you've ever played any of their games like Heavy Rain, where very decision-intensive games where whatever decision you make supposedly has consequences and they try to quantum break quantum break that's it that's it that was the one that yeah you yeah and you that's said that was a pretty I good game yeah yeah i liked it it's not for everyone but i is this a ps exclusive because if it is i haven't played it beyond two souls is yeah i believe it is yeah i just probably have heard a lot about it it sounds like something i would like if it's similar to quantum break it is i don't know if it's similar because i didn't play quantum break but i I think it's probably got some similarity similarities. If it's any, I haven't played all of Quantic Dream, uh, which is the publisher or, or is the uh, uh, developer for this game. Uh, I haven't played all of their games. Heavy Rain was really, I guess, the last one of their games I played. But from what I understand, most of their games are this decision based on this decision mechanic, where the decisions you make have consequences, and there's just all these different butterfly story arcs or butterfly effect story arcs. And uh, so I'm, I'm really interested to get this game and, and to play it, uh, mostly because there's a game coming out in May called Detroit, uh, Detroit to Human, Detroit Extra Human, Detroit Become Human. There we go. Had to look it up real quick. Um, and uh it's an action adventure game again it, it ha it's a lot of decision making it's on i believe it's maybe an exclusive as well to ps4 um so i'll be sure to tell you about it but the uh the um for, i was just listening to a podcast about it and and basically from all the people who have had hands on early they've been able to uh or, or they basically have refined this formula of making decisions to the point where even the developers of the game, people who actually worked on the game, when they asked them point blank, 
How many endings are in this game? They couldn't answer directly. They couldn't even tell them how many endings there are because there are so many endings. They were like, well, define ending. What do you mean by ending? Um, and, and uh, you know, I think that, uh, at least from the developer standpoint, they're thinking we've really nailed the idea. And people who have played it have said, have said you know, great things about it, um, which is which is a big deal because one of the writers, David Cage, uh, has been equated to Peter Molyneux in terms of, like, uh, you know, writing checks that his butt can't cash. <laughs> you know, you know, just making these lofty goals that they just can't achieve, you know. Um, and so they're, you know, in this instance, they're thinking we've nailed it. You know, we actually have done it this time. This is one of the games where, like, actions up to actions lead to a multitude of potential possibilities where, you know, you may have a character that dies early in game, which affects other characters that you may or may not meet later on. And uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm interested in games like that where it's almost completely narrative driven really leave an impression on me. These are the types of, of games that have stories that stick with me. You know, um, I don't know that it's, it's rare that for me that I have a game like Bioshock or The Last of Us that is an action game that that you actively, you know, you have agency over over the, the actual physical um you know, the, the interactions with characters where you have to fight or shoot or do whatever else, but also have a really strong narrative component that keep you engaged in the game um, and, and really stick with you after the fact. Uh, usually it's just, a, a you know, a story game like, uh, like this that does something like that. I mean, even Warcraft has lore, you know, out the wazoo, but you can skip most of that text. So you don't have to read any of it and, and just go collect your 12 whatever and come back and turn it in and then go to the next thing and level up and get your loot or whatever it's really easy yeah. to overlook it and so you don't really unless you go back and i've read a lot of the books and know a lot more now but even when i play the game i have to force myself to read those things so that i can pick up the lore you know anyway i'm interested in it and i'm going to try to pick up this beyond two souls and and uh see what it's all about um because I'm i've jealous. enjoyed their other games I'm, you should be um <laughs> <laughs> Well, that brings us to our our third segment, where uh, this is kind of our two-part series, where we talked last time about the type of gaming world that you would absolutely really not want to be trapped in. And this week, we're going to talk about what world would you like to be trapped in. And, and granted, most of these games have conflict. Most of these games are going to have like some issues in the world that are going to make it kind of dangerous to be there, and I understand that. I'm taking that into consideration, because if I didn't do that... There really isn't a game world that you'd want to be in, because you could kind of yeah, get murdered no, in all of, of them, you know. Um, <laughs> but but there are a few that I think are are uh, that would be pretty cool, or that I think I would enjoy, uh, you know, being in there at least until you know the world goes to hell. So, but for you, what what would be your what would be you know a world or a uh, you know a your your world and your honorable mention worlds that you would like to be trapped in if you were in a gaming trapped in a gaming world. All right, well, let's uh let's start with the honorable mention. <laughs> honorable mention. Uh okay. I I mean, I've got I've got three written down here. So I've got two honorable mentions and a final because that's what you started, so I finished it. Very nice. Um 
So I would say the first one is Borderlands. Like it, considering it was a post-apocalyptic wasteland and there's just so much like weird drama going on. And it's, you know, there's like a idealistic corporate society in the sky. And then everybody else is like down in this Mad Max era kind of uh, society on the ground. And they're like pirates and smugglers and marauders and whatever. I just felt like everybody kind of had a pretty good attitude about it. Uh, you know, everybody was having a good time. You know, the, the, there was lots of interesting things to find and discover. You know, there, there was kind of layers upon layers. You know, the, the people all had a story. You know, they, they were all interesting and you had to be interesting to survive, you know, the, you know, this sort of whole environment anyway. So I'd, I'd say Borderlands, it was cool, looked good, good guns, great loot system, like, you know, if you had to pick one, right. uh, not bad, it's not bad. I mean, ideally, I'd like to be part of the corporate overlord, if I'm being honest, but, you know, I'd take being a marauder or something just as well, that's that's fine too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say uh, my second honorable mention, obviously, is Far Cry Blood Dragon. Look, if we got to shoot people up, it might as well be neon pink, orange, blue, green. Like, you know, let's just really cheese it to the max. You know, even the dinosaurs are festively 80s, you know, or dragons. I suppose they're technically dragons. But, you know, there's lots of interesting subplots going on there. You know, a a bit of science, you know, a bit of eugenics even. Like, just generally some serious stuff happening in really fun colors. So I can, I can get behind that music. Great. You got a machine gun. You kind of feel a bit like Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's all good. It's all good. I would pick that. Very nice. And then number one, most, uh, most interesting world I'd like to be a part of. This is probably counterintuitive, uh, is fallout. Bizarrely yeah. enough. See, I thought about that, and I've seen that on lists uh, elsewhere, but I could not bring myself to do it. I'm like, it is absolutely too dangerous, but that's just me. <laughs> Look, well, it's super dangerous, and I think constantly collecting radiation would suck, but for the music, the ambiance, the nostalgia factor... I feel like it would be interesting to kind of be trapped in that sort of time capsule. I feel like uh, the Brotherhood of Steel is cool. I would definitely be chilling with them or the railroad or, you know, one of the like resistance groups. I feel like even though there seems to be like a lot of fighting and conflict, there's just so much wide open spaces that you really wouldn't necessarily have to be on the front lines if you didn't want to, but you could still be like making a difference. I don't right. know if I would want to be the hero of that world because I feel like that's a lot of personal risk and there's lots of ways to get killed. I mean, I went to the, you know, children of, of Adam base and like got radiated in 15 seconds. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do that, but you know, you could be the leader of, of one of the railroad resistance cells. You know, I, I don't, that's not spoilers for anybody that, you know, that's not any particular plot point. They are one of the factions, you know, or you could be part of the Brotherhood of Steel, you know, and have a fairly decent existence. Their flying mothership is awesome. Uh, they have a 
you know, phonographs and everything. I don't know. <laughs> I think it could be fun. Yeah. So there were things about yeah. it. I mean, I, I could definitely see that there are things about that world that I could find to be uh, quaint. Maybe if you could overlook the mutants that talk to you and are actually cool, uh, or the mutants that will rip your face off, the cockroaches the size of small vehicles. Um, you know, other than just a few things. But see, this is the thing. You're going into that world in the game as a capable, you know, <laughs> person that can kind of live there and, you know, and not die immediately. Um, if you've survived this long, you're like, you've got to be half decent at protecting yourself. You know, I, right, I tried right. to open fire in the middle of uh, one of the towns in, I think, the, the first game. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't go well for me. And I was like level 40. So I feel like those people are very capable of handling themselves. You know, you could be part of a smuggling ring. You could be, you know, batshit crazy bandit people. Like, you've got loads of options. For sure. Absolutely. And I think all that stuff I, is, yeah, I, I could dig that. And and I think that's that world, uh, even like the world of Skyrim, is that Tamriel? I believe. I don't know. I'm. You'll just tell me in the comments if I'm wrong. Um I, I see that. I mean, there's a part of the world that I think is really romantic, and that would be cool to to be a part of. And, and I could see living in it for you. I don't want to be there um, personally. Um, <laughs> uh, for me, um, I also have um, I have a few worlds that I think would be uh, that I think would be kind of cool to to be in. I think my Honorable mention really is is going to be Hyrule, and Hyrule specifically for Breath of the Wild. Um, Breath of the Wild, and maybe even uh, you might even say not Ocarina of Time. Any there are a couple versions of it, but I'm going to use Breath of the Wild. It's just a very nice, open, expansive world. Um, it's beautiful. There are enough nice people that it seems that you could get along and, you know, just hunt for food and live and it'd be, uh, not like, uh, constantly the worst day of your life. You know, you're not constantly having to run for your life and find, uh, shelter or, or whatever, although it does change weather and things like that in the game. Um, so it is something you have to take into consideration, but it didn't seem like the absolute worst world, uh, that I'd have to live in. Of the ones that I was looking through, I mean, like Halo would be a nightmare. I mean, it's anything yeah. where you have to deal with like the flood, or I no. think the flood primarily. That's it. I mean, that that's Gross. what I had to say. Yeah, that that ruins it for me. Yeah. Uh, the next one I would say is probably, uh, or next in line, or maybe second place would be Mass Effect. I think. Right. I think the especially from Mass Effect Two, but Mass Effect One maybe where. Uh, we're just now dealing with uh, the the uh, the Reavers and and uh, is it Reavers Reapers? Reapers. Yeah, Reapers. I Reapers. feel like that would be scarier than you're giving it credit for. Like, no, it is. But before you find out about them, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like before the aftermath of yeah. the Reapers, and you actually have to, you know, where people are being indoctrinated and people are, and you have the husks that you're just now discovering. If you didn't have to be Shepherd and you could just stay on one of those outposts and kind of just enjoy the best of culture. I think that would be, um, I think that would be ideal. 
uh, absolutely gets much, much worse, and then eventually the universe is over, I guess. Isn't that what happens? So I think that uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bummer, a bummer to uh, end the universe. But I, I, I still think that it probably wouldn't be the, the worst, uh, worst of the worlds that you could live in, at least until you get to <laughs> the full indoctrination and the end of the universe, which is bad. Yeah, that was not a good point. It's not a good point. It's a low point uh, in the universe. Um, <laughs> what's up? Um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, so the last one for me would be uh, in the wor- the world that I think I would most want to immerse myself in. That seems the most livable and breathable, and and um, I feel it. Well, for it sounds odd, I guess, but if you've been in a world and played a game enough. You kind of just know how it works, and and uh, Azeroth in World of Warcraft oh, would be I the one I choose. It. Yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah, it would be, and and I think I know exactly what I would be. I would probably be a Tauren, and I would probably just live in Tauren Mill and um, hunt or camp or do something else. Too easy. Well, it Too is. Too easy. Okay. Well, I did have one other. Since I'm being challenged, uh, I have one other. Uh, Azeroth is my number one. It's just where I would rather live. I know how it works, and I feel like outside of the catastrophe that happens about every 77 days in game, um, it seems like a pretty sweet place to live. But the like, if I had a the the coolest place, the place where I think it's like my guilty pleasure, the place where I'd like to live, even though it's a dystopia, kind of like Fallout for you, it right. would be. Earth of Deus Ex, and I would yes, like, see that would be challenging. And I'll I see, give and I would like I would like all of the augmentations. <laughs> I yeah. want I want all the augmentations. I want the eyes and the legs and the arms, and I you know I want to be human enough that I look like one, at least in the face. But I want to be able to you know see <laughs> miles. Yeah, it just I just want my face to be human, and other than that, I mean, my arms, or at least one arm, be like super, like like the Winter Soldier, um, and my legs uh, to to be bionic, and you know, all the, just the, just be awesome. I think that'd be awesome. I do realize yeah, I that. That one. I yeah. think Astroth is too easy of an easy time. You could just fish on a boat in the middle of Stormwind for the rest of your life. That's well, what you want. that's kind of what I was thinking. I said, that seems pretty uh, Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. Uh, didn't we start this off by saying, like, post-apocalyptic or difficult landscape? Yeah, we may have. I'd have to go back and listen, <laughs> you're and you're like, probably correct. Like, Ooh, Hyrule, so challenging. Environment <laughs> made for kids. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, that's why it was my honorable mention. I was hoping you were gonna pick something from a horror game. I was. Oh, I would have been. No. Impressed. Well, I would have been impressed too. That would have been probably the most impressive. That's what we have to do next week. Next week we have to choose what horror game we would willingly live in. Oh that's my gosh! Next. Okay, that's a good one. All right. I'm writing it down. That's Stay that's tuned. it. Stay tuned. Next week, what that's horror right. universe would we willingly live in? <laughs> oh my god! I'm actually getting anxious thinking about it. Oh my god! Okay. Um, yeah, so I, I want I want all the augmentations. I want all. I want to be the most augmented human, with a with a human face. In in, in on Earth in Deus Ex. So. 
Well, that brings us to our last segment where uh, this is a five-part series. We're on the third part where we list games that define us. Uh, we have listed our first two. Amanda, her first two games were City of Villains and The Witcher. And these are games that aren't necessarily, again, the greatest games. Uh, critically, they aren't games that necessarily uh, are, are even um, deemed successful. But for us, these are games that kind of define who we are. And if we just were able to pick a few that kind of said a little bit about who we were, that um, that these would be these would be games that we would choose if we were only given a handful. So, Amanda, what is your number three game that defines you? Uh, number three is going to be Dragon Age. And remember we said we weren't going to pick ones, twos, or whatever, so right, just the right. whole franchise. I like it. That's what I'm going with. and And I think it's... Because you can decide kind of who you're going to be over the course of it. And you can change your position from, you know, game to game. So, you know, when when you were, I forget what you are in the first game, like what you're actually called. You have a title or something. I, I forget. Um, but, you know, you could have played that as a very good person. Uh, and then when you come back into the world, you could have been a ruthless tyrant inquisitor. Um, so I think it's super interesting kind of how you could react and how your interaction with other people in the game um, defines what happens to them as well. So if you, you know, if you don't uh, get a, a high affinity score with members of your party, they actually will be you know, have different dialogues with each other about right, you, right. Um, which I think, I think is quite cool. And, and I enjoyed the original storylines because you're always trying to have a good outcome. I mean, this is going to come back to the anti-hero thing again. You're trying to have a good outcome no matter what, right. like you, it's still, you're trying to save the world from a, a great evil. Yeah. But how you go about it can be very, very great, and I find that very interesting. So that's why it is my number three pick. Yeah. Well, see, and I think even in KOTOR, you, it's not to me, and I'm sure there's someone out there, it's not satisfying to me to finish the game completely evil, and then basically you killed one evil to become the next evil. That's just not as enjoyable to me. Um, I like the idea of, of being able to achieve something good only doing it your way which may be great you know where i end up actually adopting some of the bad or evil powers to uh, <laughs> use them for good um for me uh, i'm gonna choose a game i'm gonna go back and i'm only gonna pick this one actually out of the series or out of all of the games uh that uh, are either related or have used the same characters because of the history of the game the history i have with the game and kind of uh, I guess what I have associated. It is one of the, my favorite games of all time, but I also think it's one that uh, defines me, and that's uh, Super Mario 3. Okay. Um, I'm picking it not just for nostalgic reasons, but, I mean, it does it does have that. This is probably one of the most... Uh, imp one of the games that had the greatest impression on me and who I was and what it was for me to be, to play video games ever um it you know if for anybody who's listening that's ever seen the movie the wizard uh or who grew up 
in and around or close to the 80s <laughs> when the uh, you know when the wizard came out the wizard was basically just an advertisement for Nintendo and specifically Super Mario 3 well I grew up uh, with a with a kid uh, I didn't have a Nintendo until later I think it was like 88 is when I got a Nintendo and um, right after that I got Final Fantasy uh, which was already one of my games on this list. But Super Mario 3 came out shortly after after I got my Nintendo. And But right before that, I was on a baseball team with a kid whose dad owned an arcade. He owned arcade cabinets. He rented them out to places. It was the most awesome thing ever as a kid. Because basically, we got to go into the warehouse and play free arcade games in the cabinet as long as we wanted to. So you didn't have to have any quarters. You just got to go in there, plug in the game, and there was an arcade cabinet for Super Mario 3 before it ever came out on a cartridge. And so as a kid... Sweet. What's that? Sweet. It was sweet. I mean, there were all kinds of games. Gauntlet. Uh, There's a game called Tubin, where you basically had four people, and you were in inner tubes, and you had to like go down a river, and you were throwing cans at people on the side or whatever. It was fun to play with people, and you were racing to the end. And so it was just a lot of fun uh, game, but it was a game I would have never played or been able to play as much as I did without this opportunity, you know. So we would go in there, you know, over the summer every weekend and just play arcade games on the cabinet. And Super Mario 3 was one of the first ones that I ever got to play. And so fast forward a couple years where it actually came out and I actually got my hands on it. And I remember begging my mother to get this game and I got it. And it is the only game that I still have. Uh, the only cartridge, original cartridge that I have from as a kid um, that I've been able to keep and salvage all these years. I remember, I mean, I just have a tremendous amount of memories from playing it. And, and these it's not just a nostalgia thing, though. It's a good game. It's a quality game. It's, it's one of the best um, platformers on the system, and it's one of the best platformers of all time. It changed what Super Mario or what Mario and Luigi did in general. Um it added a few other mechanics like, you know, the, the leaf, which turns you into a raccoon. You could get the tanuki. You could get the frog suit, which was basically useless anywhere outside of the water. Um, uh, or the hammer. I mean, there was just a lot of things that they've tried to iterate on and add to other games in the future. But such a large part of my gaming past is associated with this game. And that's, I mean, that's why it's, for me, it's on this list as one of the games that really defines me as a gamer. There you go. I mean, I th- I thought you were gonna say that this is the game where he like turns into the fox thing or whatever, and that you're secretly a furry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no fake news here. Fake news. <laughs> fake news. <Yeah>. Fake news. <laughs> uh, no, wow. hey, look, I can see it. If I, I, I mean, I don't have any of my original consoles or anything, so you know. Yeah. Well, it's 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 that and so much more though. You know, it is that, and it's also that the game has, because um, I have other Nintendo cartridges. I've got pinball. I've got other games that that were some of the first to come out, but I've I've had to repurchase them. You know, and uh, but it's not. I don't know. It's just not the. Uh, it's not just that. It's so much more about the game that it is a quality game, um, and it is kind of the beginning of you know, where I, where I went or where I, my journey in gaming. So 
Well, that wraps up this episode of Retro Rebel. I want to thank Amanda for this week's discussion. All the notes from this episode will be posted on our site, templeofgeek.com. If you'd like to add to the discussion or just reach out with questions, sound off in the comments or email us at retrorebel at templeofgeek.com. If you like what you hear, tell your friends or tell your family. Head over to iTunes or wherever you download and subscribe so you'll be sure to get each episode as it's released or each episode as it's released. And rate us, because that really helps the show. Until the next time. See you later.